Welcome to the Classroom Commute Podcast, a podcast for elementary teachers who want to feel inspired each week on your ride into school. I'm your host, Rachel, and my goal is to give you simple and actionable 21st century teaching strategies that you can take into your classroom to spark the love of learning in your students. You are already amazing, and together we're going places. Thanks for taking me along for the ride. Hey guys, it's Rachel and you are listening to The Classroom Commute. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad to have you and I'm kind of excited about this topic because I have always been a big fan of trying something new and trying to find the most engaging ways to teach something to my students. And I'm just going to say it, textbooks are not engaging. Now, that's not to say that they don't have their place in the classroom or that they're not a great tool for teachers, but when it comes to teaching content to your students, if you want it to be engaging, it's likely not going to include a textbook in your instruction. So I want to tell you a quick little story before we get started today. My first year of teaching, back in 2006, I was hired one week before school started. Now, in the district that I worked in, this was not uncommon. I worked in a city district, and there was shifts all the time in the school systems, meaning teachers were often shifted from one school to another with little heads up. So I was the lucky teacher that got hired one week before school started because there was a shift and they needed somebody to fill that spot in the school that I was hired. So I was hired to teach fourth grade and I was assigned to this hot little classroom on the second floor of a very old building with no air conditioning, of course. I believe the building was built in 1912 and I'm pretty sure they hadn't done too much remodeling since then. And to make matters worse, I was the lucky heir, and I say that with air quotes and complete sarcasm, that I was the lucky heir to a classroom that was previously occupied by a teacher that was now basking in the glory of retirement. So what did that mean? It meant that I got all the crap that the retired teacher didn't want to take home with them or couldn't pawn off to their coworkers. So there I was, the teacher coming into a classroom from a teacher that just left the classroom with pretty much everything that he didn't want on the shelves of that classroom. And there it sat all summer long collecting dust. And among the rubble, a class set of social studies textbooks from, wait for it, 1978. (laughs) Please tell me those were not the current textbooks that the students were using, although I'm pretty sure they were. I mean, I get the fact that the American Revolution and the facts that we teach about the American Revolution have likely not changed since the late 1700s, but come on, we need an updated textbook. But alas, there they were. So let me ask you, what's the copyright of your textbook? Are they from the 20th century? Because that was over 20 years ago now, hard to believe. And even if they are on the newer side, they're likely not something that your students get very excited about when you bust it out for a lesson on whatever it is that you're teaching. So let me encourage you that there is a better way to using your textbook. Now, what I'm going to share with you today is not a quick fix. I will not come up here and say that you'll be able to, in a matter of minutes, implement these new strategies in your classroom. And I don't want to make any false claims that in 10 minutes or less, you're going to have the solution to your textbook woes. But what I am going to share with you is that with a little bit of work, you are going to have an amazing, more engaging textbook alternative that you'll be proud to present to your students. And once you put it together, you'll be able to use it year after year after year, and you will have your students begging to learn more. 
And you, dear teacher, are a go-getter. So let's do this. I'm going to present you with four textbook alternatives. The first one is a gallery walk. I've talked about a gallery walk on the podcast here before, but let's dive into it now in case you missed the episodes where I've mentioned it. A gallery walk is a fabulous way to present new information to your students that allows them to move around and interact with objects and pictures and each other while learning new content. So if you're unfamiliar with a gallery walk, let me just give you a quick overview. A gallery walk is when you set up several stations or sections around your classroom and at each of those sections you have pictures and artifacts and posters and other objects about a specific topic. And each station is going to exhibit something different about that topic. So you're going to take your big topic and you're going to break it into smaller topics. And each station is going to be one of those smaller topics. And students walk around from station to station collecting information on an activity sheet or a notebook or however you want them to collect information and they write it down or do some sort of recording from what they're learning at each station. There might also be at each station a piece of chart paper near the pictures or the objects that the students are observing, and they can jot down questions or thoughts or things that they notice about the content being presented. So think of it like a graffiti board at each station where students can jot down, draw, write, whatever it is that you want them to do at that station. And then as the time goes on, the poster, the graffiti poster that you've put there is going to get more and more elaborate as more students add things. So I like to do that at each station. Now I've done a gallery walk for a number of units that I have done with my students and one of those units was my animal unit for example. And at the beginning of our animal unit we talked about the difference between vertebrate and invertebrate animal groups. So what I did was I created several posters, one for each animal group And I put each poster at a separate station. And along with the poster, I had picture cards with examples of animals found in each group. So they would go to the sponges section when they were learning about invertebrates. And they would see pictures of sponges, either pictures that I had printed out or pictures that I had kind of bookmarked inside of different books that we had. And they would explore those things. I also had put, like I mentioned, a poster. And on that poster, it had the name of the group. It had the definition of that animal group for what classified an animal to be a part of that group. And then I had an R, have, can chart. So if you're not familiar with that, for example, it would say sponges are, and then I had a bulleted list of things that sponges are, and then I had sponges have, and then different things that would be characterized as what sponges have, and then sponges can. So you've likely seen that chart before. And I had one of those posters for each of the animal groups. And what students would do is simply they had their, what I called their student field guide. That was what I had students record their learning in. And they would walk around with their student field guide from section to section, station to station, and record what they were learning about each animal group. So we did one day for the invertebrates, animal groups, and then we did one day for the vertebrates. So if you have anywhere between three to five stations, it makes it nice because students can spread out and you don't have too many kids congregating in one particular station. And then of course, there's gonna be a little bit of structure around this where you give, if you want, students you know, five minutes at each station and then have everybody rotate at once. You don't have to do it that way. You could have it be a little bit more free-flowing depending on the types of stations and how many students and of course, how well students typically do in these types of activities. So you can plan it out you can have them all rotate at the same time or let it be more free-flowing and let them move through the gallery walk as they work through the stations on their own pace 
And like I mentioned before, I would have a graffiti poster at each station and students would write down words like slimy or squishy. And sometimes they would make their words that they were writing, you know, bubble letters, or they would make it look creative to represent that the word that they're writing. So students get really creative on these graffiti boards and it's kind of fun to have that there for them. Now, a reverse activity for a gallery walk would be to have the students create the content that's going to be placed at each station as a review of what they learned. So in a traditional gallery walk, you're providing the posters and the pictures and articles or whatever it is that you want them to be looking at at each station. But in this reversed format, you are going to assign a group of students or several students a particular sub portion of an entire topic and they're responsible for creating the content that you taught. And this is a great authentic end of unit project for students to work on. And you might even have one student from each group kind of stay at their station to answer any questions that other students have about that topic. So I love this idea of a gallery walk. It can really take on a lot of different feels and looks depending on the content that you're teaching. And it's a great way for students to explore new content if you're doing that traditional gallery walk or it's a great way to have students review content that they've learned by flipping the script, so to speak, and having them create the content for the gallery walk for the rest of their students to walk around and see. Now, the second alternative to a textbook is something that I have mentioned multiple times on the podcast and on my blog over the years, and that is Reader's Theater. Have I mentioned how much I love Reader's Theaters? Because I do. If you've ever used any of my resources, you've likely come across a Reader's Theater script that I've created to help teach students about potentially boring topics. Take pollination, for example. Reading about it in a textbook is a surefire way to lose your students' interest faster than they lose pencils. But the same content in the form of a reader's theater script where B characters are narrating the process of pollination in humorous dialogue, well, now your students are listening. And better yet, they're going to remember things that they're learning in a reader's theater script. I can't think of a single topic that you can't make over into a simple reader's theater script. Here are some of the topics that I've created a reader's theater script for. I created a script called Live from Space, and this was a script about newscasters interviewing astronauts traveling to the sun. So this was from my sun, earth, and moon unit where we were teaching about the sun. I turned it into a script, a whole lot more engaging than reading about it from the textbook. I created a script called No Taxation Without Representation. Of course, that was a script about the colonists discussing the growing tensions between England and the colonies in regards to British taxes from my American Revolution unit. I had a reader's theater script called Two Separate Worlds, where the sailors on a cargo ship were discussing the differences between the North and the South during the Civil War era. I had a script called A New Home, and this was a script about colonists arriving in North America. It's a Cycle was a script about Big Drop and Little Drop discussing the water cycle. Busy Bees, like I mentioned, which was one about pollinators traveling through a garden discussing pollination along the way. And then I used a script called How a Bear Lost Its Tail for introducing the topic of animal inheritance from my animals and ecosystems unit. So there really is no limit on the types of topics that you can cover. Anything can be covered. And I know that you might be thinking, well, I'm not a very creative writer. There's no way I can do this. And that's where the textbook may be helpful. You can pull out the information that you need to teach, that your textbook tells that you need to teach, and just put a character behind it. Take out the content that you need and turn it into dialogue. And then take that dialogue and break it up and assign it to a character in your story. It's really not any more complicated than that. 
I will link to an article that I wrote over on the blog all about how to use Reader's Theater in your classroom and you can check it out if you want to learn more about this. And if you want some ready for you already done Reader's Theater scripts, I've got a small library over at Teachers Pay Teachers that I will link to in the show notes as well. And you can grab any of those scripts that I mentioned if they would work in your classroom. All right. The third, I think it's the third. Yes. The third way to replace textbooks in your classroom are what I call discovery learning folders. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Discovery learning folders are nothing more than a file folder with flair. I promise these are easy to make. And once you make them, you got them for year after year to use over and over with your students. And here's how it's done. The first step is to choose a topic that your textbook covers, but does it in such a way that puts you and your students to sleep. I've chosen topics like Native American regions of North America, daily life of colonists, political decisions made during the Civil War, biomes, early explorers, major battles of the American Revolution, and so on, just to name a few. And I will link to all of those in the show notes. And I break that larger topic down into subtopics and I create one discovery learning folder per subtopic. So for example, for the political decisions of the Civil War, I had six different subtopics. The first one was the Missouri Compromise and another one was the Dred Scott case. Then there was the Kansas-Nebraska Act, the Compromise of 1850, Harper's Ferry, and a new president. Those are my six subtopics about the political decisions made during the Civil War. Or for my early explorers learning folders, I had one folder that discussed the life of an explorer. I had another folder for discussing the reasons for exploration and a third folder for presenting contents on the countries that were involved in the age of exploration and so on. And students would then rotate through these folders similar to what they would do during a gallery walk, like I mentioned, and they would collect information in a notebook or on a recording sheet or whatever you have them do as they're learning about the different subtopics. So step one is to choose that big topic and then divide it into subtopics. And of course, having, you know, three to five to six topics helps to make it so that you don't have too many students working in one section at a time. The second step is to open up a blank PowerPoint presentation or a Google Slides presentation, whatever you use to create student resources and create a cover page that you're going to put on the top of this file folder. So, you know, be creative. If you're not super duper creative, just grab some clip art and, you know, of course, include the title of that subtopic and print it out so that you can put it on the cover of that file folder. Step three is to create up to three pages of content. And again, this content can come directly from the textbook, but you're going to make it more interesting. You're going to include more clip art or images that are going to grab the student's attention and you're going to break it up in a way that's a little bit more easy for students to digest. And you can also at this time make it more tailored to your students' abilities. If the textbook is way over their heads, this is where you can take the content, but then translate it for students in a way that's going to make more sense to them. Now I say up to three pages of content. Again, you're going to do, you know, if you're in PowerPoint, you're going to do one slide is going to be one page. The second slide is a second page and third is so on. And the reason I say three is because you can glue one page on the inside cover, another page on the other side of the inside cover, and then one page on the back. And you don't want to go crazy with too much information. You don't want it to be overwhelming. You just want to include the most important pieces of information that your students need to know as it relates to this subtopic. 
And be sure to include lots of pictures, maps and diagrams or whatever visual that you think will help your students best understand the concept. And then I also like to on that third page that I glue in on the back is I like to come up with some discussion prompts that students can talk about or reflect upon in their groups. And I always, again, put these on the last page that's on the back so that they have gone through the information first and then they have those topics or those discussion questions to discuss as a group. So you've got step one, choose your main topic and break that topic down into subtopics, one topic per folder. Step two is to create a cover image using PowerPoint or Google Slides or whatever it is that you use and glue that cover image on the front of the file folder. And then step three is to create three informational or up to three informational pages that you can glue on the inside flaps of the file folder and one on the back. And you can also include some discussion questions as well. Step four is optional but highly recommended. And this is to include an extension activity for students to complete after they've gone through the information of the folder. So this could include a word sort or a coloring or labeling a map or a diagram. It could include completing a page for an interactive journal. When I did this for my Explorers Discovery Learning folders, in the folder all about the life of an explorer, I had them complete a diagram for the parts of a ship. And it was really simple. There was just a mat with the picture of a ship on it with different labels pointing to different sections of the ship and they'd read different cards and place it in the right spot. So these extension activities should be short because you don't want it to take a super long time, but it's just a quick way to reflect on something that they've learned in that particular folder. And again, it's optional, but it's a great way to make it even more interactive right there at the learning station. And the last thing that you need to do, and I've kind of already mentioned this throughout, is you just need to glue your cover pages and your informational pages into a file folder. It's very easy and you can laminate your file folders and use these year after year. So that's why I said it does take a little work up front, but once you do it, you can use it year after year. And these are great ways to replace a textbook. It's a great way to get your students working in small groups and talking and discussing and maybe potentially creating a little extension activity to go along with it. And I do have some discovery learning folders already created. I've got several, like I've mentioned, the Explorer, I have one for the Civil War and for American Revolution and biomes and a few others. And I will link to those in the show notes if you want some ready and done for you discovery learning folders and save yourself a little bit of time. But this is a activity that you can easily do yourself with whatever content it is that you need to cover with your students. All right, I have saved the best for last. I may be a little partial to this because I love creating them. And I'll give you a very quick second to think about what I'm about to say. Did you think about Linktivities? Of course you did, because I can't stop thinking and talking about Linktivities. They are, without a doubt, my favorite way to replace a textbook with a more engaging activity. And lucky for you, I have a huge growing library of Linktivities on all sorts of topics that you can take and plug right into your classroom and use right away. So if you do not know what Linktivities are, you're likely new to the podcast and that's okay. I will link to a resource in the show notes to explain them in depth for you. But if you have been on the podcast for even a little bit, you know what my Linktivities are. They are interactive digital learning guides where students can control the pace. They can go about the Linktivity in the own order that they want to go into and they can explore videos and images and all sorts of things that help teach a topic. 
And the best part about these is I've already done the work for you. I've already put these Linktivities together and I've included a flipbook or a recording sheet of some sort that students can use to complete as they go through the Linktivity. So this particular textbook alternative, the work is done for you. They're ready to go. So I will link to my collection of Linktivity digital learning guides in the show notes over at classroomnook.com forward slash podcast forward slash 66. And so I have science ones and social studies ones and ones for reading and a whole bunch of others. So make sure you check those out if you want an easy way to instantly grab your students' attention. And if you are like a lot of other teachers that I hear, once you begin using them, your students are going to crave them. They're so easy right now because a lot of us are doing digital learning in some sort of fashion. And so these are easy because all it takes is a link and an internet browser to get these Linktivities up and running in your classroom. They have audio support. So they are just a gem in the classroom. And if you know me, I have put my heart and soul into these Linktivities in the past year or so. So hopefully you can tell how passionate and excited I am about these. So again, I will link to them in the show notes. So I have given you four textbook alternatives. So there is no excuse to not try out something way more interactive and engaging with your students. The textbook has its place. I get that. But at the same time, we want to give our students the best that we can give them. And you can do that by making some simple tweaks. It does take a little time up front, but in the end, your students are going to benefit so much more. So let's run through them one more time. The first one is a gallery walk, whether it's you creating the content for each station that the students are going to walk through in the gallery walk or flip the script a bit and have students create the content as an end of unit project for them to present the information that they've learned. The second alternative is that reader's theater, whether you grab one of mine that I'll link to over the show notes or you create your own using the topics and the content that you need to teach your students. It's a great way to make learning new content interactive. The third way is the discovery learning folders. Again, I have a library of them. I'll link to them, but you can easily make them your own. All you need is a file folder and PowerPoint or Google Slides and a printer to get these up and running. And then the fourth and final way, and might I argue the most interactive and fun way, are Linktivity interactive learning guides. I will link to a lot of the resources that I've mentioned over in the show notes. Again, you can get there by heading to classroomnook.com forward slash podcast forward slash 66. And if you have a moment after all of that, please leave a review of this podcast. It's how other teachers find us over here. And it just lets the podcast apps like iTunes and Google Podcasts and so on know that there is value in this podcast. So if you have found value, I would love if you left a little review. All right, that is all I have for you today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I will be back again next week, same time, same place. Bye for now.